I knew she was an amazing singer. I knew she had a very wise and nurturing mother, but that even as a teenager, she was driving her own boat with the mind of an entrepreneur. What I didn't know about this artist until our interview was her childhood careers, plural, as gallery-worthy painter, media and film actor, hip-hop dancer, and medal-winning Canadian National Championship snow skier. As you listen, I have two questions for you. What are you not doing that's in your heart to do because you've limited yourself? And number two, is there someone else you could encourage to also follow their wild dreams? Let me introduce you to the phenomenal Sophia Evangelina and be inspired. Hello, this is Judy Rodman. You're listening to All Things Vocal Podcast. This is the audio version of the blog you can find at judyrodman.com. Sophia Evangelina is a laser-focused and extremely gifted young R&B pop artist from Canada who's already won multiple international awards. She is a powerhouse singer, songwriter, and stage performer with a ton of experience from a young age. The music Sophia makes is packed with strong messaging, and her vocal ability is stunning. I wanted to speak with her today for you guys about her unique journey to the multi-talented artist that she's become and where she sees herself going. Now, on to the interview. Welcome, Sophia, to All Things Vocal. Thanks for being with me. Thank you so much, Judy. I missed you so much, and this is the greatest way to reconnect. Yes, and virtual hugs because it's been a long time since you've been right here, huh? <laughs> I know, I know, right? All right, Sophia. Well, you are so young and yet an old soul as well. And I know that for from being around you for the last three years. In fact, we first started working in 2018. Right. You've uh, off and on been through Nashville and it's been so cool to see you in the flesh. But we've worked a lot online. You have had an amazing path through life already. So tell us where you started out, how you started out, and how you came to this life of music. Right. Well, I'm from Canada, and I was born in Calgary, Alberta, uh-huh. the Texas of Canada. <laughs> That's right. So kind of like a cow town is what we call it. That's where I was born, and I had a very interesting childhood. It's a very long story, but I'm going to tell it in a short and sweet note. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was in love with performing and entertaining random audiences from as early as I can really remember. You know, I used to cut up my mom's scarves without her knowledge <laughs> and I would design my own couture and kind of model them in front of the mirror. And I would always steal her makeup and put lipstick all over my cheeks and mascara on my eyebrows. And I just thought I was the new prima donna <laughs> and I would go and put on like a big show and dance. And every day I would pretend I was a different actress or I was a different movie character. And that was just really who I was. But at the same time, I was also this adrenaline seeking, little crazy, rambunctious bundle of energy. And it became problematic because my mom could not strap me down in a car seat. She could not drive anywhere without me crawling all over her. She could not confine me to one corner of a room in a house because I would find a way out. So. I started jumping from cabinets, from balconies, and I would just literally be like, mom, and jump, and with no warning. So she had to do something about this crazy child. And so I followed quickly into my bigger brother's 
footsteps and she put me into skiing. So I started skiing at uh, two years old. And oh, wow. So at like, you know, three or four years old, I was doing my first ski race and I got my first gold medal against all odds. You're kidding. Oh my gosh. I didn't know that. Yeah. And I guess since I'm on the topic, the funny part about that was uh, my life story as an athlete all the way until the very end was that I was always the smallest and the youngest and the lightest. And I always have been and always will be probably. And yet I seemed to defy kind of odds, I guess. And at the time, they spoke to my parents and they told them, you should take her out. She's so small. She's so light. It's a waste of your money. She's not going to be able to win these races. And my mom's like, oh, come on. Let her enjoy the fresh air. It's my money. I want to. <laughs> so little did I know or little did she know that that was the beginning of an era. And I went on to win and uh, kind of. I think shocked many people, including those who didn't believe as it always does. So anyways, long story short, I began uh, my training as a singer and as an actress in modeling very young as well. And I continued those trainings along with my skiing. And because of all this energy and all this passion, my mom also put me into like break dancing and into painting. And there became a point where I was just so interested in, in everything and invested in my paintings at nine years old were going into art exhibitions and going off to be sold. And then, you know, I was in a competitive breakdancing group for hip hop and we would compete and perform <laughs> everywhere. And then, you know, I was traveling around Alberta and BC at that time, being that young for competitions and winning. And then I was simultaneously doing some film projects or auditions or uh, voiceovers or anything to do with mm -hmm. acting. And, and, and modeling and, and all these things were kind of intertwined. And my vocal progression was there, but it was kind of on and off until I was about seven years old. And at that point, my teacher at the time told my mom, wow, she has a really jazzy voice. And at the time I was so annoyed with my teacher. I was like, why would you say that? I'm a pop star. And I was like, so <laughs> uninterested in having a jazzy voice, but little did I know that would be my biggest suit. And so soon enough, my mom, introduced me to like Andrew Lloyd Webber and I became really profoundly obsessed with the Phantom of the Opera. And so she took me to Las Vegas to go and see that show. And that just filled my heart with so much amazement and joy. And I was just overfilled. And soon that journey transpired into my mom introducing me to burlesque. And at that point, I already started having, you know, a voice of my own, but I heard Christina Aguilera open her mouth. She began with the opening song, something got a hold on me and I was done. I was floored. <laughs> I, I felt like electrified and it really hit me. I don't know what it was, but I was like, mom, that's how I want to sing. That's my voice. That's me. I, I it was so little, but I, I understood something about the, the energy that was going through yeah. when she sang like that. So that movie, we watched it maybe like 50 times and that movie kind of started that. Right. The movie burlesque. You know, it's funny how you recognize yourself in another artist and that it does it sort of checks a box inside, doesn't it? I know you're yeah. right. And, but yeah, so that began that journey. And then soon after my mom introduced me or around the same time to Motown and blues and jazz. And she really, I owe it all to her. She really uh, opened up this beautiful uh, journey into the musical halls of fame, really. And mm -hmm. that is when I fell in love with Etta James and Aretha Franklin and Nina Simone and then, you know, Amy Winehouse and then Whitney Houston and then all the greats that that led to today's divas. But mm -hmm. funny enough, today's divas were inspired by the divas of the era of, you know, Etta James and, and even before that, like Ella Fitzgerald and, 
and, and uh, amazing artists like that. There's so many I could name. And that trajectory was the beginning for my voice and for what I fell in love with. Your spirit is an old soul. You're wise beyond your years in a lot of ways, and you understand some things about life that's a little deeper than a child normally would. You're creatively aware of things. So that goes right along with that kind of music anyway. It does. And I mean, mm -hmm. you know, so early on, I was singing big covers about like loss and betrayal <laughs> or love of the life or, you know, Drama. Uh, my soul, or give me respect, man. I, you know, you know, all these big songs and I identified with the spirit in them, but I couldn't obviously really understand what they sure, were talking right. about. And I think you understood that too. If I go into the future with you, when we were working on some of those big emotional songs, you're like, I know you can't imagine what this feels like, but think about singing to your puppy dog. And uh -huh, right. So, oh uh, my goodness. Yeah. Yes. And that was so funny because that was so true for me. You know, I, I was in love with performing and, and singing those really energetic songs, but yeah. the slower ones that were deeper and more emotional, it was harder for me because I was such a happy kid. But going back in time uh, to skim through it, you know, that was where it started and it was on and off, but I was also simultaneously really progressing as an athlete. And so at this point we, we kind of put on hold the dance because it was obviously too much and also the pain. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> yeah. And so uh, obviously I was really quite promising as an athlete. So I, we began to really escalate on the competition charts and why am I saying charts? It's not music. See, I'm beginning to mix my terminology, but the ranks in, in my sport. And soon I was invited to, you know, higher and higher level teams and winning higher and higher level competitions. And and at the same time, I was going into talent contests like Talent Inc. And that was when I won my first big award at, I, I think I was um, 10. That was in Toronto. And that was also a funny story because, you know, uh, I was with my mom traveling around Canada doing different ski competitions. And mm -hmm. the time had come for this convention. And I had an acting coach in Calgary who was supposed to get me ready. And kids for that convention for singing, acting, and modeling, they train like all year to get ready yeah. for it. Right? And I hadn't. <laughs> I was so consumed in my sport. So she's like, you know what? I think we should just move your slot to next year because you're not going to be ready. And we're like, no, 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 let's do it. Let's do it. She's like, you have three days. It's in, it's basically <laughs> impossible. And we're like, no, 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 no. pressure though. <laughs> and, and you know, we were like so lighthearted about it. We're like, we're going to give it our all. We're going to give it our best and we'll see what happens, you know? And so uh, funny enough we did. And I think that's the first time my mom and I really experienced how the athletic mindset of focus and drive and discipline and, you know, you got one shot, you know, that sort of thing. It really transpired into musicality and just into my artistship. And so long uh, story short, we ended up winning that. Uh, <laughs> wow. We had I think, the most, or one of the most amounts of callbacks because that's how it works. They have like a panel of judges who are comprised of casting directors and agents and managers and kind of big wig industry people, let's say, you know, we couldn't even see not a quarter, not a 10th of them, but it was a really big experience. And so, you know, we even had somebody from Sony Music Canada that was trying to set up appointments at the time. But the funny thing was, I was escalating as an athlete so much at the time, and I was so young. And so we didn't think it was really time yet to do something. Mm -hmm. um, 
that big. And so I went on through time and juggling the two. I went on to become a Canadian national team level athlete. I was a North American champion and we lived in Finland and in Austria and we traveled to so many countries. Oh and goodness. What an incredible exposure to the world that would in inform your thinking. And oh, it had to have had an influence on you all that travel. Yeah. Oh my God, Judy, you have, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and I'll, I'll come back to that in a second because you're so right. The cultures and, and the overlaps of yeah. demographic and youth from all around the world, that's kind of what shaped me a little later on. But I guess to put it in short, that last year and a half was when we began the production of my first album, which is Butterfly. And, you know, the mm -hmm. team at the beginning who launched us into that first phase of metamorphosis right. <laughs> um, you know they decided that that would be a great way to start in the world of artistry is to put out a cover album to let people know you know you're 14 years old you're just developing your sound this is a mixture of who you are becoming and at that time we also wrote three original songs and so you know we were recording that in between world cups so we'd be in like zurich and We'd be in Switzerland or we, we'd be in Austria or in, in Mammoth Lakes, California. And in between all these trips, we'd come home and we'd record a song or two. So you were writing back then. You started your songwriting back then at 14? Some of the, like, the, the real songs, yeah. When I was little. Yeah. Girl songs, but yes. And so uh, that was a 10-song cover album. And we wrote three original songs. And only one of them went on to be released after that. And so at that point, there was a lot going on, as you can imagine. But, you know, the the juggling was real. And after we released that album, uh, I decided to uh, retire from my sporting career as an athlete. And I'll tell you why. Uh, you know, my whole life as an athlete, I had always planned on being a singer and always planned on being an actress and an entertainer. And I just thought that it would be after I met certain milestones that I'd set out for myself in my career, because, you know, that was the way I was driven. Like, I have to have a gold medal in this competition. I have to have a number one rank here and then I'll retire. Right. But when we recorded that album and the song, This Is Your Song, which was a song dedicated to my peers at the time, the youth of the world. And that brings us back to me traveling around the world with my mom and seeing all these kids from different walks of life and uh, generations and demographics and how they all suffer from the same core issues of, you know, self-esteem and low self-worth and not knowing how to fight for themselves or how to fend for themselves or just believe in themselves. And so, you know, I really felt compelled to help give them a voice and a music that they could feel connected to. So at that point, we wrote that first song. This is your song, AKA Kids the World. I remember it. Mm -hmm. Yes. And when we went to uh, Mammoth for a World Cup, we had a week uh, in between the next competition. And my mom, who was originally studying and living in LA before my, my beginning of life, <laughs> she's like, why don't we go and see some of my old friends and we will maybe make some contacts for the future and we'll just dip our toes in the sand and, you know, we'll just have fun. And I was like, oh my God, I was always talking about LA, like my whole life. I'm sure you know that. Uh, yes. And so we, we basically went and uh, little did we know, but we, we made five music videos in one week and two of them had full set crew and locations. And so that was uh, the electricity of LA is what I attribute that to, but we made it happen. And on one of the sets for one of the music videos, you know, that is a huge decipher moment because there was kids who were kind of in tears. There was parents who were in tears and telling my mom how much the song resonated with them. And it means so much to them. And, I, I was overwhelmed with, with feelings of responsibility because I felt, wow, music can really impact people. And, you know, we're only getting started. This is only people in our surrounding on the music set, but imagine if you could reach more people than that. And so 
After that, we released the album and we released a song. Soon after, we decided to make the decision to hang up the skis and to go full throttle musically because I saw that my door was open as a youth and actually that there was not maybe going to be another door. And I understood that really clearly, that it was a painful decision and it wasn't as I had planned. But I I'd said, this is what I want more than anything in the world. And I feel like it's a grander, much grander uh, life plan is to, you know, empower people through music and to make a difference in the world as an artist and to guide people to become the best version of themselves. And I felt like I had to undertake that. And, and I mean, of course, I was just in love with with musicality and songwriting, and it just really fed my soul, made me who I really was. And so the journey began from there. And we had a couple different managers and everything. And my mom was always pulling the boat. She was always making everything happen and not really anybody else, even though there was good intentions. And you know a lot about that. But nobody really would bring anything to fruition. So my mom is who I owe everything to. Well, of course, my life. And as you can see, number one mom. (laughs) Yes, I like your shine back there, being a mom myself. (laughs) <laughs> from Mother's Day. Yeah, I know we, we didn't take it down yet. Um, but it's, it's staying up forever. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and so from there, you know, we got more awards, more nominations. And, you know, there's been a lot of ups and downs with, you know, hurry ups and waits. And of course, this pandemic, but it led us to releasing Smile and Endure, which was recorded at 16 and just released Endure because of a little hiatus with, you know, referred to a a label deal that was put on hold and didn't work. So now we've decided to go independent. And now we have another five songs pegged for release. So that's where we are. (laughs) Goodness. So we're brought up to present day. That's incredible. Sophia, let me ask you something. How important do you think it is that you didn't gain all of this fame really as an artist, you know, that you had some life where you had some struggles. And even though you were winning in an athletic sense, which I didn't even know about that part of your career, you know, you, you were able to kind of grow up and your mother, you know, was there with you through all of it. And you grew into really a selfless girl. You know, that you, you have a calling and you know that you love doing what you, you do, but you also know that you have a mission to make the world a better place in some way. How has your mother and your journey protected you from like not being accountable and, you know, too much early fame that sometimes destroys artists when you get the fame without the grounding, if you know what I mean? Does that make sense? No, absolutely. And I super appreciate that. And I think my mom would appreciate that question too, because her biggest life goal for me was always to be a girl with a strong head on her shoulders, who has a strong moral system and value system and who lives by that. And I couldn't be more grateful for that because nothing else really matters to her. I mean, I think she knows that I'm the kind of girl that if I put my mind to something that I will achieve it and I will get it. And she knows that I love music more than anything in the world. Mm -hmm. And she knows that you know, art and storytelling through whether that acting or, or music is my only, my soul's work, but. But your character is first. Yeah. Your character comes first. Wow. She always tells me that, you know, and she will let me know when I'm out of my place or if I am making stupid teenage decisions or if I'm not using uh, my moral code and she will set me in place. And I am so <laughs> immensely grateful for that. And I mean, there's a lot that goes into that. I mean, you know, there's been Obviously, my life has been full of sacrifices, and I mean, I am immensely grateful for everything. So I don't look at them as sacrifices, even though sometimes other people try to remind me that they are sacrifices. But I think when you're on, 
your way to a success, uh, whatever that is for you, you know, whatever you have to do to get there, it's not a sacrifice. It's just like a stepping stone that's necessary. Yeah. It's a choice, isn't it? Yeah. I think you only look at sacrifices as sacrifices when you feel like there's something being lived away from you. Right. But mm -hmm. if you feel like everything is to gain, yeah, it's like your health, you know, you, you do whatever it takes to be strong and take vitamins and take supplements because you want to live long. You want to live a healthy life. So it's the same thing for success. And I've complained before to my mom, you know, I've had my emotional moments where I felt lucked out of a, some normal teenage things because, you know, sometimes you reminiscent on what a normal life is, but never did it last more than a five minute little tear thing and then i was like oh that's stupid you're right i am so on the right track i'm doing whatever it takes you know what i mean and so my mom is just such a strong woman she's so strong sometimes i literally don't think she's human and it really inspires me because when i get down and about and i would swear in my own personal shit you know i think to myself my mom is like a million times a wonder woman, I have to step up my game. And so she constantly reminds me to be the stronger, better, faster version of myself. I was about to go into a song there and she's so protective. That's why she's my mama bear, right? She She's gonna be with me every step of the way, no matter where we go, because our success is our success. I, I'm so grateful for that because this is a beautiful world, but as you know, there's um, some darkness to it. And it so sure is, yeah. to overcome that darkness, yeah. I feel like the only way you can is through a really strong moral code and having a really strong people in your life. That's awesome. And Sophia, you chose to be accountable to your mother. You chose to accept that wisdom. And I know that you're on your own journey too. And I'm sure your mama knows it. Having met your mama, I totally get that strength and all that, but congratulations on your wisdom to listen to her. Her part to me is not only grounding you in that ethics and feeling of a purpose in life and all that, but also in letting you be who you are, who you're called to be. She supports where you want to go as well. So you're, you're both like following the same purpose, which is to let you grow into this person and this artist and the force that you are in the world. So, wow. Thank you. Uh, and I do appreciate that so much. That does make a lot of sense. You talking about your childhood. That makes a lot of sense. It just in so many ways <laughs> with me knowing you <laughs> and, uh, and it, you're, you are driven. Yeah. But you're driven from joy, you know, not fear. You're driven because it's like you wake up in the morning, like, like, what can I do now? <laughs> so it's pretty cool. All right. Well, let's, Let's dig into one specific part of your voice that is rather unique because not everybody has it. Tell me specifically about your whistle voice. Like, when did you come to know that you wanted to do it and how to do it and that you had it? And what do you find vocally with vocal technique that helps you do it when you wake up not quite in the mood to do it and you have a recording that day? Well, I think I really looked at this, my vocal range as a competitive sport, <laughs> to be honest with you, in the beginning. I think you did too. Yeah. As many notes as humanly possible in my register and in my range. And I think that's just how I'm always going to be. But, you know, I think I, I had it quite naturally, that high range, and mm -hmm. then getting it up a couple notes was, or a few notes and continuously, I have. I always have kind of a new goal. So if I hit this note, but it's kind of wobbly or it's kind of inconsistent, then I know, okay, I really have to push myself. And then I mark my progression until I have that note perfect. And then I have a new benchmark. But technique wise, everything from you teaching me and everything I've collected over the years has led me to believe it really has to be pure and unpushed, but at the same time, 
supported. You need to get through. So you need to push without the pain or without the, you know, tension on your throat and which mm-hmm. without putting a strain on your throat, right? So you really need sufficient air, but you need to use the air properly. Right. You need to support the airflow and you do need to send it, but you also need to control it, right? Right, right. Yeah. Uh, because if you use all of your air intake, of course, that's what happens to a lot of people as they get up there, but they, they can't sustain it. So it, it's really, a, I think a lot of it comes down to proper breathing and proper technique and positioning and how you hold your mm-hmm. shoulder. And I think a lot of it is mental as well. Singing up there, you kind of have to feel like it's nothing to you. You can't tense for it, can you? No, no. And you know, there has been a couple circumstances where I had like a dental surgery or I had some kind of sickness or just a sore throat or whatever. And it was much harder than it usually is for me up there. So it takes a lot more warming up. It takes a lot more gradual warming up. You know, I would say most mornings I wake up in the morning and I'm like, "Ah!" you know, and I just wake up and I just, it's kind of there. Hello. But some mornings, if it's like, my voice is really kind of froggy or whatever. I mm-hmm. really have to unroll all of the frogginess and uncover the cords mm-hmm. and swim my way out of there and at the top, you know. And I would just say that you have to know your limits to push your limits. And right. I am a huge advocate for pushing your limits in every way. But you also have to know your vocal health. And I think over the years, I've become pretty good at that. You know, it's, it is a lot like athletics in that if you over try, it's as bad as if you under try, right? So you have to kind of find your balance on it. You know, and what's interesting is, yeah, you have those extreme high whistle voice notes, but you also have extremely low notes. Mm-hmm. And so your range has increased in both directions. I know you'll be happy to hear me say that because you are so competitive. <laughs> But yeah, really, your voice truly is amazing. But what's more amazing is you do want to extend your range, but then you aren't all about the low notes and high notes. Your main thing is about the messaging. So that's about the middle of your voice. And you're not just doing vocal X to do vocal X. You do a lot of vocal X, but they're part of the, I think, of the passion of your message. And they're driven by your heart for what you're saying. Do you? Oh my God. Well, I love that you asked that question because this is like a a really honest answer for me is that in the beginning, I was so obnoxious and rambunctious and I just wanted to sing as loud as I could. And I wanted to sing with as many riffs and like, you know, because it's that kind of competitive thing. Like I wanted, I wanted to show off a little bit and I just wanted, not even for other people, I wanted to show off to myself. Like I wanted to prove myself that I could do anything in a vocal roller coaster. But then, you know, with your help and my mom and, you know, I also just grew up a lot and I started actually feeling things and I started really tapping into my emotions and that is a whole actual other topic that I want to maybe get to with you is how that was really hard for me because of my sports. Sure. Um, Get into it. Go ahead. Tell me about it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I I mentioned to you when I was younger that I was such a performer and bubbly, but when it came to the hard emotional topics that I didn't understand them. So I tried to sing them with love and emotion, but it, it didn't hit me from the soul. The experience wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't understand them inside of me. I tried to emote that I did. But of course, as I grew up, I I started to realize a lot of that came from my sport because vulnerability and humility in my sport was like, right? (laughs) Oh, that makes sense. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And so I, I realized that because in my sport and anytime I broke 
a bone or dislocated a joint or, you know, a snapped a tailbone or whatever it was. I, I always tried to suppress it and to be as strong as I could because, you know, the stronger you are, the more you win. And the more you win, you know, your career is going bigger and bigger and bigger and you achieve more and you accomplish more, right? And so even within my teams, there was countless injuries that my coaches had no idea about because I didn't tell them I would suppress the pain. And then later on, you know, I'd go and see the physio, the team physio for the national team and they'd be shocked like that I was even standing and they're like, this is, you need to, you need treatment. And, you know, there was all, all this went into my sport. So when I came into my music, you know, opening up and being vulnerable to me looked like a defect almost. Wow. Or showing that, you know, you're not perfect or you're, you're not stoic. You're not really heroic all the time or, you know, showing that you care about something even because a lot of it is also bravado, which I had to deal with a lot to uncover, sure. to be honest with you. Like, you know, I'm fine. I'm strong. I can handle it. I, I'm confident all the time. When in reality, of course, that's, that's not always true. You can be confident a lot of the time and strong, but of course you're down and you're about, and you know, there's times when you, you feel so angry about yourself because you you've messed up or you let yourself down or you let other people down. And so t for me to come out and start being in tune with my emotions and in tune with myself and even talking about boys and love, like that was so hard for me. And then as soon as I started getting the, the engine revving and, mm -hmm. and the engine greased and oiled and all that, it really started unfolding and unfolding and it was like therapeutic. And then I couldn't stop songwriting because uh, all the new songs that I have, you'll see they're really a different side of me and they're really deep lyrically. It's really coming from my soul. And now that is the most beautiful thing for me is having people send me messages about like Endure, for example, and saying, you know, that song put me to tears because I felt how much pain you were in. And pray to God that you are not in pain right now, but you sing with such... Uh, pain in your voice, which means like, you know, that you, you know what it feels like. hundred percent. And and just to, I, I realized I trailed off a little bit. So just to conclude on the last question you asked, you know, about uh, putting the licks as you call them in the right uh -huh. place and really having the story be the number one, most important prominent yes. of the story of the song. And so that became the biggest mission for me. And so, you know, using my range accordingly to tell the story and using the riffs and the runs and the lower part of my voice or the higher part of my voice to tell a certain story. And so now it's so important to me more than anything is how does, how do I tell this story to paint a picture in people's minds, you know? Yeah. And when how do I, I create this film in people's in people's minds? And so, you know, sometimes that will be using my lower, sultry kind of voice versus mm -hmm. sometimes it'll be more energetic and higher. Sometimes it'll be really empowering and, and big and, you know, uh, badass. And sometimes it'll be very angelic and vulnerable and almost weak. And simple. Mm -hmm. You know, you you kind of convey what you're feeling inside. So that's become my biggest obsession with songwriting and with the songs that I make. And of course, every song has a different motive. You're going to have the songs that are meant for fun and for more of like dancing, clubbing kind of thing. And you're going to have the songs that are meant to like start a war, <laughs> like that are that big and intense. And then you're yeah. going to have songs that are heartbreaks and everything like that. So, you know, there's a different time and place for everything. The full gamut of the human experience, right? Of course. While we're speaking about that, tell me about Endure. I know that you recorded it a couple of years ago when you were 16, but it's become your new single. The pandemic has set everybody back. So you're now sort of 
getting back in the game, I think, right? So, yeah, like you said, Endure was recorded two years ago. And I think Endure was really the dawn of a new era for me because that's where I tapped into to myself and to my real emotions, into, into a storytelling from my point of view for the first time. And musically, sonically, it was also just a really big step, I think. But the actual experience itself, you know, it was meant to be a different song that was written that day. And it was a completely different song. Like, we're talking something very feminine, bubbly and girly. And I was really no, I didn't know that. Oh, and I I, uh, gave my guitarist Alex at the time, um, some chords and references from other songs, you know, inspirations of where I wanted the vibe, where, what key and all that. And he started strumming and playing, but slowly he found himself in like this transfixing kind of melody. And he was so getting, he was getting so lost in that. And then I was getting lost in that. But soon I looked at my lyrics and I realized that everything I written was completely unfitting. So like I scribbled them all out and I <laughs> like, this is a brand new song. So I opened up a new page and started writing all these deeper, darker emotions. And it was getting darker and darker and darker, but not like in a, in a, depressing or scary way but in a kind of a moody a deep way um and so our producer at the time he he stepped out for a phone call and he said he'd be a few minutes it turned out to be 30 minutes and he came back and he didn't speak we didn't speak nobody spoke and instead he just sat down at the piano and he started like adding his vibe into this and uh we were all just in this collective kind of like it was almost like tribal and my mom was there with me and, and helping me and she put on her phone recorder because she probably saw that it was something very real and authentic being created that maybe couldn't be created again and I'm so glad that she did that because that's exactly what happened is you know, a day or two or, or a few later, we went into the studio to start putting it together. And it was coming out completely different. And it was not the same. It was very huh. boring and streamlined. And it was, it, it lost its appeal. So my mom and I left home and we're like, no, 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 we hate it. Because I lost the magic of the creative moment. Yeah, exactly. And so we, we tell our producer, we come back and we're like, okay, you know what, we're going to start with a phone memo recording. So we inserted my mom's recording from her phone and you still hear it in in the original track and it's there and he made a sample out of it and he we added everything on top of it and so then it kept the original integrity of that moment and honestly when i hear it i still feel what i felt that day wow and we had some amazing musicians add their heart and soul into it i laid down my vocals and that was the birth of the door when I was in Memphis, I, I learned this story. I used to do background vocals at High Records for Willie Mitchell and other people and, you know, Stax Records people were over there and all that, that old Memphis R&B stuff. There's a group you may or may not be familiar with called Sly and the Family Stone. And mm-hmm. I know at least them, and, and there were tons of other people. Isaac Hayes recorded there, just all kinds of people. I, I worked on Carla Thomas Records and, and O.V. Wright Records and all kinds of things. But anyway... The band, Sly and the Family Stone, would spend the night for days in the studio. And Sly would get up at two o'clock in the morning and start playing the piano and the song would come from there. You know, they were much more dysfunctional than you were about it. Trust me. But nevertheless, (laughs) the music did come very organically like that. And I know a lot of times that demos done in Nashville are better than the master's. And so that's so cool that that happened. What a great story. Oh, yeah, I know. And I mean, every songwriting process is super different, right? They're never the same. Yes. Um, But and it's funny is because it's kind of like your children, right? They ask you, what's your favorite child? And and you're kind of like, I love all my children. 
wink i do have a favorite though i think your favorites always kind of change you know based on where you are in life and things like that but you always appreciate where you were at the moment when you created something right yes and very much like children it can be that your favorite is the last one you just had <laughs> oh yeah yeah the right. one you just wrote you know and you got excited about this the, the baby <laughs> But yeah, and, and then you get into, you know, there's a difference between how the song feels when you record it. And, it, and then also when you add the element of an audience hearing you deliver the message and trying to get a response from who you're talking to, you know, that adds a whole new element to it. So your favorite can change a little bit according to how it's being received. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. you release a song and you have people coming to you and telling you that this song means the world to them and you weren't even expecting that. It, yeah. it might really hit you. Yeah. So how important is it to you to have the right team around you? Like that really gets your vision? Oh, well, I would say uh, 111%. <laughs> and, you know, finding an amazing team can be really, really hard. I mean, there's a lot of beautiful people out there and there's a lot of people with great intentions, but, you know, people that are willing to raise a village with you, yeah. you know, to create an empire with you from the ground up and to look at your career like it's their own, because in many ways, you know, it is, you know, one artist career is the career of everybody who creates that. Oh, what a great thing to say. Yeah. It's funny because as I, as I was growing up and I watch interviews from all my favorite artists, whether they're like, kind of kids my age who are already, you know, blowing up for whatever reasons, or whether they're seasoned, seasoned artists like Elton John or whatever, the advice that they always give to newcomers or to anybody or what they attribute their success to is having the right team and having people around them that believe in them and who would do anything for them. I mean, you look at anybody's career, like Justin Bieber or, you know, Selena Gomez or Elton John or whoever it might've been, and they would not be where they are hadn't it been for their team. Because as you might know, there's a lot of beautiful and talented people in the world, but what there isn't is that village that raises that child. Oh man. <laughs> well, how do you take care of yourself mentally and physically and vocally? Yeah. Okay. Great question. Well, let's address them all three separate. Okay. Well, um, first of all, I think knowing that I'm working towards my goals, it keeps me sane. And anytime I derail from that, or I'm stagnate and I'm, I'm not releasing music or I'm not contributing to my ongoing goal or my ongoing vision of success, that's what's detrimental. And that messed up with my psyche for a while last year year and through the pandemic and I had to recondition myself and of course I, I grew strong in other ways that I had not been before because of what the world is going through and the way that I see the world and and all that but you know keeping sane for me is working and seeing things being accomplished that for me will always be like my my mental oxygen and I think that's going to be me for the rest of my life is you know it's not that you're never satisfied uh, because of course you appreciate where you are and how far you've come and the journey that took you there but it's like that you know you could always become more you could always become greater and the best version of yourself is what's to be seen otherwise I mean I love spending time with my family so much and I, I love my, one of my best friends is in Los Angeles. And so we can't see each other, obviously, but we try to FaceTime and that keeps my sanity as well as a teenager because it makes me feel normal. Friends. Yes. Who understand you. Yes. Yeah. And I, I love also, you know, just taking time to spend with friends, family, people we love and, and just be a goof like yeah. when I'm not professional. I'm really, really silly. <laughs> uh, silly McKilly, my mom used to call me. And then vocal health wise, 
it's really a, a constant, you know, you need to keep your voice in shape, right? So it's like doing your stretches if you don't do your splits for a week. <laughs> Get hurt. And then you're going to lose splits, right? So you have to continue that. So, yeah. Oh, and I love I love watching um, movies. Ah, <laughs> that's great. It's sort of food for your artist's soul, too, to watch what other people are doing and how they're doing it and how that's affecting you and why it's affecting you. Whenever I'm watching movies, I'm always kind of partially thinking, How's that soundtrack making me feel? <laughs> Amazing to think yeah, about. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty cool. Okay. So I could talk to you all day, Sophia, and, and I love your energy. And I will tell you, I really do anticipate that for the rest of your life, you're just going to become more and more limitless. And because you've chosen to think of your life as having meaning, it's not that you're not going to have sometimes to go through, we all do in life and all that. But I think that your artistry is going to continue to grow and you as a human being are con going to continue to have more and more joy. Thank you. So what have you got coming next? Yes. So we have five singles. Five. Yeah. For kind of like a rapid fire release uh, down until the end of 2021. And that is going to be exciting. The first song we have is called Get Out of My Head. Then it's going to be a song called It Could Never Be. Love those. And then we have my three favorite of all time that we've ever created so far. And that's called Game. It's called Lone Wolf. And it's called Red Dawn. And I can't wait for people to hear those. And the music videos we have in mind, the content, it's just, it's going to be so busy, but I'm so excited. And, you know, for 2022, I have goals for an album. Great. Oh, you've got some jewelry uh, that has to do with Endure that I saw on your website. Well, we've had a grand goal for, you know, opening a brand yeah. and also so a fashion brand and as well as a beauty brand. It's been a really a lifelong kind of goal along with the music brand. But for the time being, you know, we want to start somewhere. So we're starting with merchandise. And so the first step that we could find ourselves situated in was these amazing bracelets that are going to be engraved with Endure in them and they're natural stones. So it's a collection of all these different earth stones. Uh, they all mean something else. And, you know, but through all those meanings, it still encompasses in some way shape or form that through those elements you will find a way to endure and so it's kind of like a stackable collection that people can soon acquire and you know mm -hmm. it, i hope it'll be kind of some empowerment little tool to wear for them mm -hmm. and uh, the collection is going to expand into other forms of jewelry like there'll be bangles with lyrics on them there'll be necklaces there'll be id tags for for guys there'll be some masculine apparel and jewelry and then we're going to have apparel so we're going to have some you know clothing line as well <laughs> it's to be fascinating to see your journey continue to unfold sophia and i always get your last name tangled around the angel part because you are an angel but <laughs> sophia evangelina where can people find you and buy your music Thank you, Judy. I am on Instagram at Sophia.Evangelina and the same username for TikTok and YouTube. It's Sophia Evangelina on uh, Spotify, Sophia Evangelina. Uh, Twitter may be the only one where it's so Eva XO, <laughs> but okay. that, it's almost everywhere. It's going to be Sophia Evangelina on Facebook. It's Sophia Evangelina Music. You can check out my website. Uh, on my website, there will be always new oncoming announcements about tour dates or performances or even live concerts, which I'm going to start doing two times a week. Uh, I think I'm starting with just Saturdays right now, but it will be like a Wednesday and a Saturday. Ah, you're getting back to regular. Okay, cool. 
of the live streams. Yeah, that's all on the website, sophiaevangelina.com. Yeah, I think that's about it. All right. Well, thank you again. It's been very inspiring. And I learned some things that I have never known about you too, which does explain a lot. <laughs> it was like, yeah, I've got a feeling you just touched the tips of the iceberg that have created you. So, oh my gosh. Well, love to your mom and uh, let's keep in touch. And Thank you again for today. It's been fascinating to talk to you. Guys, I will leave links to Sophia's socials and and website. And also a couple of little surprises, like a time that Sophia's incredible puppy dog joined us in her vocal lesson. (laughs) Remember that? Yeah. And I just want to say, Judy, how much much (laughs) you mean to me in my journey. You mean so much. And I mean, what you do for the world is just incredible. I think the world needs more Judy, <laughs> more Rodman. Uh, you're just you're really a bright light. And I think your spirit and your energy is just so loving. And your talent is just out of this world. And I think that your outlook on the vocal health and holistic health and, and just storytelling, you really helped me uh, break some barriers that I was facing at the time vocally and emotionally, storytelling wise. And I just really will always, always cherish that. And you will always be my go-to for so many things. And so I hope we have like this lifelong um, friendship forever. One of the many, many reasons I love you is you are other directed as well, Sophia. You guys check her out, check her music out, check her career out. And like I say, it's going to inspire you for your own journey because she is very unique and so are you. So thanks again, Sophia. And we'll talk to you down the line. Bye, girl. Bye. Thank you so much, Judy. We love you. This is your host, Judy Rodman. You can always find me at judyrodman.com. See you next time for All Things Vocal, the podcast for singers, speakers, vocal coaches, and studio producers.